Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, November 2nd. Make everything you do an act of self-giving. Thus you will combat natural egoism and expand the boundaries of your reality to include the realities of others. Well, short and sweet today, but it really still has a lot to say. Let me start with an act of self-giving. You know, the Selfishness is just the bane of existence. It's the bane of our existence. It's the bane of everyone's existence. When one's first consideration is what's in it for me. There's a a children's book, Charlotte's Web, I believe, and I can't remember, is it the spider? The one that has the lines, what's in it for me, Charlotte? (laughs) And it's just like the theme of whatever is going on. That particular character says, what's in it for me? And it's sort of a joke. But that's a lot of times how people think, isn't it? What's in it for me? Where do I fit? How do I get what belongs to me? Are you trying to take something from me? And we just, we're always fighting with each other. People are so, uh, we're so unhappy because we're always sitting there trying to protect our reality and it makes us constantly worried about ourselves. There's a, a deep metaphysical, you know, obstacle to that self-preoccupation, which is the the limited, egoic, body-defined um, self that has, a, a, that has all these private things that it has to worry about and protect is ephemeral by nature. It just, by, by definition, it doesn't really exist. This, we, we inhabit this body. The body assumes all these identities. Then the, it, it inspires the life force to defend them. And then in the end, it dies. <laughs> And then pff, it's just all gone. As soon as it's gone, it's just gone. Every, every person who has gone on a death and return journey, a near-death experience because it's not permanent, you don't, you don't stay. But they go all the way into the, the death experience, which is to sever their connection to this world. They all come back saying, it's just not what it seems. This, this thing that we're protecting so much, there's this wonderful story by a man named Dr. Ritchie. I can't, I can't remember his first name. The book used to be called Return from Tomorrow. I believe it has another name, but if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. It's just, it's just a wonderful story. And he, he died as a young man of 21. He was a soldier, and he, he got the flu, and he died of the flu. And so he had really just begun his life. He wanted to be a doctor and the and the army was going to send him to medical school and he was extremely keen on being able to do that. He was just like he was taking the next step and then he got this flu and then suddenly he's out of his body. And because he was Christian, um, the, the the angel that greeted him, the, the, the light, light being that greeted him was Jesus. And um, he, uh, Dr. Ritchie says, He had not been a good person. He'd been an extremely selfish, self-centered person. The details of his life were that his mother had died. His father had remarried a really lovely woman. But his mother's 
parents were jealous. And so they constantly poisoned him against his stepmother. So no matter what his stepmother tried to do to make him part of the family, he, he just was consistently mean, mean-spirited to her. Um, partly his excuse was that his grandparents were as mean-spirited as he was, but it was he who did it. So he comes, he comes into the presence of Jesus when he dies, and he's in what he describes, this is all in the book, a 360-degree simultaneous reenactment of every minute of his life. And he could, he could see it, you could, I mean, because he was out of his physical body. He could see the whole thing all at the same time. And he could see it was nothing but selfishness, just every step of the way. He saw his poor stepmother constantly reaching out to him and he constantly being mean and breaking her heart. And there just wasn't, as he put it, one thing in that whole thing to be proud of, except that he had become an Eagle Scout. And he'd sort of accomplished certain things, get doing, doing the work needed to be an Eagle Scout. And he says he's standing there in front of Jesus with this dismal picture of his life around him. And Jesus says to him, how much have you loved? And he says, well, I'm just a young man. I haven't really started. Jesus says, how much have you loved? And he tries one more time to defend himself. Jesus says, how much have you loved? And so then, in desperation, he sees the only bright spot on this dismal view is being an Eagle Scout. So he describes it as he reaches over to point to where he was an Eagle Scout, trying to spread his body out as much as possible to block the Jesus's view of all the other dismal events. This is all you know happening on the other side. He's pointing to the Eagle Scout transparently trying to, you know, buoy up his position. And when I heard Dr. Ritchie say this in a recording, with he, he's from the South and he has this Southern accent. He's talking about Lord, Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior. He says, when I reached over to do that, trying to block Jesus's view, he says, the Savior was amused. That's what he said. The Savior was amused because the Savior loved him. and But he was not going to <clears throat> let him off with any excuse. The fact that he'd just been a child didn't mean anything. He was fully responsible for his own actions, and he had been selfish and mean-spirited, and that was that. And Dr. Ritchie says that when he saw that the Savior was amused, he said he just let everything go. First of all, because Jesus loved him. In fact, Jesus even loved him enough to find his, his antics slightly humorous. And you know how a child is so pleased <clears throat> when you make your parents laugh. It's just so much fun when you make your parents laugh. <clears throat> You'll do it again so that they'll laugh again. And he just felt from Jesus the, the most perfect kind of love. But he also stopped trying to pretend how much have you loved? Not very much. Not very much, sir. And then everything began to shift. And the rest of the story, which is just really marvelous, is him traveling around and seeing the world and eventually coming back into his body. From the time he came back into his body for the rest of his life, and the story was being written and told decades, many decades later, he said, no encounter with any human being was ever unimportant. 
every single time he he was in any situation where he where he had a relationship where he could help with us, any sentient being, you know, a dog, a kitten, his his wife, his children, because in his mind he knew that someday he would be standing in front of Jesus again, and Jesus was going to say, "How much have you loved?" Jesus wasn't going to ask him, "Did you become a great doctor?" Were you the head of your department in the hospital? What a beautiful home you built. You know, how many, how many academic papers did you write? Jesus was going to say, how much did you love? And Dr. Ritchie, you know, and you could hear it and feel it when I saw the recording of him speaking. It's like he loved a lot. He just loved continuously because no encounter was unimportant. Every encounter was an opportunity to be able to say to Jesus, yes, I did, yes, I did, yes, I did. So this is what Swami is saying to us. Make everything you do an act of self-giving instead of an act of how much can I get, what do I want, how can I manipulate you, how can I use you, how can I, all the things that people do. Just say, how much can I give? Sometimes people pray to God and they want an answer to this, should I do this, should I do that? And, and oftentimes God doesn't seem to answer us because God really doesn't care where we live and what we do, not nearly as much as we think he does. Jesus didn't ask Dr. Ritchie, you know, what did you accomplish? He said, how much did you love? So when we ask God, how can I serve? How can I give? How can I love more? Oh, then he rushes in to help us. I mean, literally, you're standing in front of one, someone. It's a small encounter. It's a large encounter. It's your own child. It's your spouse. It's your dying mother. Or it's a clerk that you're just meeting in a store. And you ask God, how can I serve? How can I be your instrument? How can I be helpful? How can I give? Self-giving means forgetting the self, giving yourself away instead of self-aggrandizement or, or you know, self-inflation. And then Swami says, doing this will combat natural egoism. Ego- egoism is self-preoccupation. Oftentimes when people get on the spiritual path, they think that self-realization is the perfection of the self that we call ourselves. It's not the perfection of it. It's the complete forgetting of it. It's just simply putting it aside. We, we imagine that in order to exist, we have to have a, a small self that we're always thinking about. But the great secret of life that you gradually begin to discover is the less you exist, the more you exist. Because it's really limiting all of this fear and concern. Where do I fit in? What am I supposed to do? What about me? What's in it for me, Charlotte? You know, that question just shrinks us down to nothing. But when we say, what can I give? Then as I was saying, Jesus will answer that prayer. God will answer that prayer because he's in the heart, equally in the heart of everyone. And he's, he brought you together. So you're standing in front of, front of someone. God knows what you have to give. And God also knows what he needs from you. And the most interesting answers will come to you. Just the most interesting ideas that you, you, you know for a fact they're not coming from you. And I don't mean, you know, great 
psychic revelations where you suddenly talk to them about their dog who is at the vet, you know, or something like that. I mean, although those things can happen, those things definitely can happen. But there's just a simpatico that, that gets built. And then what Swami says is you begin to relate to realities other than your own. In, in our Education for Life system, which is if self-realization is the goal of life, how would you educate children? And this is something that Paramahansa Yogananda himself began and has been highly developed through the years at Ananda, what is the definition of... Well, Swami starts with, the purpose of education is to develop true maturity. You're starting with children. You want them to become mature adults. Well, mature physically happens just because it happens. If, you, if you're not ill or you don't die, your body will grow and you'll come to puberty and you'll reach your full height, your full development, it'll just happen. But inward maturity, emotional maturity, spiritual maturity, that is not automatic. You can have a full adult body, you can even have a whole string of degrees and still be essentially seven years old in your maturity. So Swami says the purpose of education is to achieve true maturity. And then he describes True maturity is the ability to relate to realities other than your own. In other words, not to be so self-involved that the whole world has to, that you only see the world either through your place in it, your desires, or your values. You know, the only way people can be right or even imagine, you just can't even imagine that people can think differently than you. You know, this is people who never travel, who never meet people from other cultures. Just like my, my ways are the way things are done. Not at all true. And in our multicultural world, even with just the uh, entertainment and the internet, it's hard to be that insular. But people can remain very insular inside themselves unless they, they make an effort, unless we make an effort to actually think, what is it like to be you? Given the context in which you grew up, what, given the, the gender that you have, the ethnicity. I, I was struck one day, a, a friend of mine was helping me, help, a friend of mine was helping me help my friend to move. And I'd ask him to help me because he was a great big man, six and a half feet tall, very, very strong. And I'm, you know, five, four, and I'm strong, but I'm small. And I just was standing next to him, which of course I'd done many times, but it really struck me how different his physical form was. And it's just an obvious thing. What would it feel like to move through the world with that much physical strength? It's just, it's a very small thing, but it goes through everything. What would it be like to have been raised by those parents, to have those interests, those inclinations, those talents? And the more we try to give and to help, the more we will automatically start tuning into realities other than our own. So Swami says, make everything you do an act of self-giving. Thus you will combat natural egoism and expand the boundaries of your reality to include the realities of others. Joy to you, my friends. 
Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.